brainstorm. Today's episode is brought to you by Terry's Turpentine, offering natural solvents of unnatural quality. And for this month only, Terry's is offering two-for-one deals on selected home products. Tuesdays are twice as nice at Terry's. Dr. Geller. Colonel Troyer, episode six. Are you joining today from KMA West uh, Studios? Yeah, just refurbished with all the new branding. Amazing. Looks great. Um, but you know what? You bring up a good point because we have had some people mention that on Apple, uh, that if you found the show but used to be a subscriber or following one of our old titles, Killer Shipwrecks, Killer Biographies, that you may have some issues re-following. So we just want to make sure that you are following the show. Try to make sure that's working and maybe even share it with somebody. We have to get the KMA podcast out there. Yeah, we got to bump the numbers up a little bit. A little bit of pressure. As you saw, we, we've we've invited back into the fold Terry's Turpentine. Perfect segue. Uh, in our mailbag this week, yes. we got to notice that this, or last week was the 34th wedding anniversary for Terry and Susan. Milestone. What is that? Is that wood? What is, what's 34? <laughs> Good question. Okay. I, we'll look and, that up. Lizzie, you know. I was going to say 34, year, 34 years of marital bliss, but not uniformly bliss. I would just say 34 years of marriage. We can safely say that. Round it out a little bit. Why do we have to be so specific, right? Right. So so congratulations to them. Uh, Terry's Turpentine is one of our uh, very first sponsors of our show. Yeah, we're big fans of the product also. Great solvent. Yeah. And it's it's none of the fake stuff. It's it's the real deal. It's it's natural from Ohio. Uh, we also got an email this week from a listener named Peter in Evanston, Illinois. I believe uh, yes, that's near, Northwestern. Yeah, he said any episode about slide guitar needs to mention Sun House. I guess Sun House was a legendary blues player. That's spelled S O N. Point taken, Peter. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. He said, when I got into mentioning people like Elmore James and Earl Hooker, he said he was waiting for like, eh, Sun House, where's Sun House? So uh, oversight on my part. We also heard from a longtime listener named Garrick. Oh, yes. Yes. He loved the episode, he said, but he thought it was a little short. He said it, it left him feeling like we had just scratched the surface of slide and steel guitar. I know this listener, and this <laughs> listener is an expert in all things guitar and most artifacts generally. So I would say that, of course, we're going to underdeliver when we're catering to a broader audience. We're going to underdeliver to the experts. Okay, I feel better. So nice that people are still finding us by email. And um, so the, remember to do that, especially if you are listening from one of those fun locations that uh, that Dr. Geller has isolated and announced throughout the uh, prior episodes. Tell us how you found us using our email address, killermeansawesome at gmail.com. That's killermeansawesome at gmail.com. We love to hear from our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Love to hear, particularly when we mention your hometown. Uh, I'd love to know more about it. And, and as you mentioned, great segue into this week's feature of where do people listen to our pod from? And we have three new places. Are Wait. you are you are we ready for that? Was there anything else in the mailbag that we uh, lost? I over? should have mentioned that guy Peter. Uh, I think he correctly identified both pieces of music that you uh, clipped and put into the last episode. He said the first one was from Derek Trucks. Correct. That, That's a hundred percent correct. Yes. Okay, Peter. Fact, yeah. Fantastic. Peter. Peter said he plays guitar, but he does not play slide guitar. Oh, Nonetheless, okay. he identified Derek Trucks, and then he said the final one is Muddy Waters. Correct again. Wow. Uh, avid listener, uh, but also a close listener because he's 100% correct. Very challenging too. Okay. We'll send him a t-shirt. Great idea. Peter, send us an, e an email with your address. We will send you a t-shirt. Absolutely. You know, 
And speaking of last week's episode, we we spoke about being able to edit texts after you send them, right? And I mentioned that I sometimes have a, have a bit of an OCD, so I went back occasionally and I'll, I'll edit everything, you know, because I'll think like, oh, wait, is that contraction with the right apostrophe? <laughs> yeah. And someone then wrote in and said, hey, by the way, David, um, I hadn't heard from you in a couple of weeks and I went to text you and I noticed you had gone back and edited text from three weeks ago <laughs> and it doesn't work that way. Like people don't go, you know, it's a, it's a temporary <laughs> thing. So don't waste your time. But for me, it's a, it's cathartic. Anyways, let's get into this week. So first of all, let's say hello to our good friends in Pikeville, Tennessee. Pikeville. Pikeville, Tennessee. Sounds great. Sounds sounds rural. Sounds earthy. It's very rural. So, you know, I have relatives from Pineville, Kentucky. Feels like a sister town to Pikeville, Tennessee. Yeah. Feels like a, a place where like the Union and the Confederacy might have scrapped at one point. Yeah. Probably some awesome fields yeah. to check out. Let's say hello to Glassboro, New Jersey. That's near New York. Yeah. And I wonder if it is like right next to New York or if it's, you know, out out uh, in that other part of the state that we were talking about last week, you know, out in the more like western part of the state, you know. Yeah, probably very lush, right? Because it's the garden state. I bet there's a lot of green grass. And- I mean, that's what they call it. But I mean, you know, you drive around it. I don't know. Doesn't feel gardeny. No. Like you don't want to You think of going to New Jersey to garden. Yeah, Garden State. It's just more like, you know, rest stops and rest areas than like, you know, the fast food place there at the side of the, you know, I don't know. Yeah, let's 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 not disparage any place, especially having just given out our email address. But now for the last person or last place, um, and and my personal favorite for this week, uh, let's say hello to New Delhi. India. You've got to be That's kidding me. That's the capital, me. the capital of India. We're New Delhi. Oh, baby. We have hit the big time. Can you imagine? You're listening from New Delhi? We get a foothold in India? Dude, I mean, if you would have told me old Delhi, you know, or like a, an old Delhi, like, you know, in, in like the boroughs, you know, New York or New Jersey, even Glassboro, you know, sure. I'm at the old Delhi in Glassboro, but New Delhi, India? Oh, man. This, this is big. I had great hopes that we would start to build a uh, listener base there when we did um, killer biographies about a guy in India. Yes. And it didn't really materialize. I think this is the first time you've ever uh, shouted out a um, listener in India. A difficult market to penetrate, but there's a lot of listeners there potentially, right? It's a a very populated uh, country. Absolutely. We only have a a small handful and we won't give out exact numbers. New Delhi, definitely tell us how you found us. Uh, Killer killer means awesome at gmail.com. Fantastic. Well, you know, this is episode six. We're at the halfway mark and I'm going to consult my notes, but I think you are presenting today. Yeah. You know, you're a hundred percent right. Got everything prepped, ready to go. Bit of a different take on killer inventions, at least for for me this season. So uh, if you're ready, I'm just going to jump in. Please do. And we love a different take. Let's hear it. We're going to talk about the invention of a product that you're familiar with. And I'm going to bet most of our listeners, if not all, are familiar with chewing gum. Gum. Mm. Now, you know, it, there are inventions associated with gum. Like, who knew? Well, I, absolutely. I mean... But it also has a very uh, ancient background. Does it really? That was my first question. Is Have people been chewing gum since, you know, ancient Greece? Settle in. This story starts literally more than 9,000 years ago. No, it I'm talking not. Neolithic. Yes, this is really far back. So that's why what I'm telling you, this might have to be a two-parter. No, we'll, we'll get through it really quickly because I'll skip over thousands of years without even a bat of an eye. There is evidence that Northern Europeans were chewing birch bark tar 9,000 years ago. 9,000 birch bark tar. Yes. Huh. Now, of course, the reasons are purely speculative. Like it could have been for enjoyment or medicinal purposes. We don't know. Well, well, um, can one chew birch bark tar nowadays? I mean, what, what what would that taste like? Is it as nasty as it sounds? Yeah, I think it really is. And I think that huh. I don't know the motivation, frankly. I'm not sure it was for medicinal. I mean, what if you were just starving and you just wrap your mouth around a tree? Like you're just like, I got to eat. Well, also sometimes. 
you know, they were coming up with sort of approaches to dentistry, you know, like they, they were getting bad toothaches and stuff, even without the processed sugar, so uh, processed food and the refined sugars. So uh, I wonder about that. And then also, yeah, you know, some of these uh, cultures going way back, they choose stuff that does have some sort of stimulant effect or relaxant yes. effect or so Absolutely. I wonder about birch bark tar. In Finland, they found 5,000-year-old chewing gum that had been made from birch bark tar, and it had toothprints in it. Wow. I wonder how they um, found that. That feels like something that would very easily get lost when you're digging through the earth. Like, Well, I think at first it was found by someone cleaning up a street, and they're like, God darn it, this gum, <laughs> like, well, this one feels really old. What is this? Yeah. Holy cow. Isn't there a birch beer? Can't you drink birch there beer? Be. It's like sort of like root beer, but it's like not. Yeah, I don't know about tree-specific uh, beverages. But now here's the thing. Forms of chewing gum also existed in ancient Greece. Mm. They chewed what was known as mastic gum, appropriately named. And it was made from the resin of the mastic tree. Mm. So they were chewing on this like... It was like birch bark tar, same type of thing. Well, that's very strange. There's a mastic tree because there's a mastic, mastic tree. Doesn't that mean chew? It does. Like, and maybe the, maybe that's what they named it after because it produced this, you know, resin that they chewed on. So uh, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, but but supposedly it did have antiseptic properties, and they they did use it for oral health. The, hmm. the Greeks, that's what they believe. So which would you, if if you just right now? I said, you got to pick one. Mm -hmm. It's either the birch bark tar or the uh, mastic uh, gum from the tree. W which would you go with? Definitely going with the mastic gum. Because of the antiseptic properties? Absolutely. And their ancient Greeks were really smart, right? Like they knew what they were doing. Like the fact, you know, probably did have some good properties. And you're right. That's more recent than the other ones. The other ones are like 9,000 years ago and five. All of these gums were really derived from whatever was growing naturally in the area. But there was an instinctual desire to masticate. Like people like to chew. And that goes back, you know, forever. So whether it was or teeth cleaning, breath freshening, it, people were chewing on stuff all the time. Yeah. You know what I use it for? I just uh, chew while I'm asleep. What? Yeah. To avoid grinding my teeth or snoring. I just pop a piece of gum in there and I find that it's still there in the morning. And I've, you know, occasionally been chewing it while I'm asleep. And flavor-wise... It's it's still releasing flavor when you wake up? Not really. It's pretty it's pretty dead by then. Right. Well, that's kind of one of the issues. But that's interesting. That kind of reminds me of the guy who was like amazing at card tricks and he'd go to sleep and shuffle in both hands as he slept. My uh, son has a roommate in college who uh, got v extremely drunk one night, um, you know, in the initiation into whatever club he was joining, and then woke up in the morning and discovered that he had done all his physics homework in in his uh, inebriation, and it was all correct. Wow! Yeah. I thought you could say like in another language. And he was like, I don't speak Spanish. Why is this proof in Spanish? God darn it, it's no, right, exactly. but I don't understand it. I mean, that's, you know the guy's smart if it's like he's doing his physics homework drunk and it's all correct i mean it's and he just didn't even remember world. doing it he just wakes up it's just done it's just, it's like a dream yeah he's a rocket scientist yeah of course he is all right now thinking about the cultures that chewed on these gum-like substances which again were made from plants or grasses or resins you had the chinese they were they were chewing on ginseng plant roots you had the inuits chewed on blubber uh, Native hmm. Americans chewed on sugar pine and spruce sap. In fact, when I was in summer camp, we used to pick wintergreen and chew on it. That was like the natural gum. I was going to say, just going through that that group you just did, the Native American one sounded nice. W what was that again? The sugar pine and the spruce sap. Yeah, that just sounds fresh. It sounds like tingly fresh in your mouth. Or maybe it's also just that you used the word sugar. And I was like, okay, here we go. Everybody re reacts, and you're going to love the next uh, part of the story, but South Asia, they chewed on nuts, various types of nuts. Yeah, Same with the, tropical the, West yeah, Africa. Yeah, the um, – Betel, beetle yeah, nuts. Betel, betel nuts. Betel yeah. nuts. And I think those give you a little bump, right? A little stimulation. Hello. Yeah, I'm not sure. Tropical West Africa, the cola nuts. Uh, and obviously, the United States had tobacco leaves – you know, going back pretty far. So you did oh, have like these right. natural gums thing. Yeah. 
Although I wouldn't describe that as gum. Like you think it's not gum. Chaw, it's like chewing. Tobacco. It's, it's just chew. chewing. Sorry. Yeah, not gum. The the mastic gum was. Gum. Yeah. How do you get the nice? Um, I wonder if those ancient ones have that nice kind of elastic gummy quality. Oh, I mean, trust me, there's so much research on the properties of gum and what chemicals now enhance such things as stickiness, as elasticity, so on and so forth. But let's stick with the story. Now, in the Americas, uh, the ancient Mayans chewed on a substance called chicle. So of course that's going to trigger what? thoughts like of like chiclets. It's going to that it, it, obviously there's a connection, but not yet. So the Mayan people chewed on chiclets, which was derived from the sapodilla tree, and they use it as a way to quench thirst, fight hunger, and that's all told in a book by a woman named Jennifer Matthews, and she's an anthropologist. She wrote a book called Chickle the chewing gum of the Americas. And this is very detailed. They liken the Mayans' love of gum to what present-day Americans think about cheeseburgers or Germans' love of beer. Like, the Mayans love their gum. Like really? Was, yes. And it was this chickle. And did this chickle, is it something we would recognize as gum? Did it have that kind of gummy feel to it? It did. I mean, not quite what we would consider, but once it was processed – then yes, not in the form that the Mayans were chewing it. You would not think of that really as gum like you know it now. Who invented blowing the first bubble? We're going to get there. Okay. So again, that's after the break. <laughs> okay. But now the Aztecs also used chicle uh, to chew on. And interestingly, the Aztecs had rules around the social acceptability of chewing chicle. Really? Yes. So only children and single women were allowed to chew it in public. Hmm. Okay, that was a rule of the Aztecs. I'm, I'm trying to figure out w- what the rationale there is. They did want to see a grown man masticating in public. But, 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 the, ki- but the kids and the unmarried uh, women were allowed to? Correct. Married women and widows, they could chew it privately uh, to freshen their breath, and men could chew it in secret to clean their teeth. Those were the unwritten rules. Now, since we're talking about some people down in um, you know Central South America, what, uh, did they start mixing in the uh, coca leaves? Not so much, although coca leaves was one of the Things sources that... of chew for the South Americans. Sure. Yes, sure. Okay, so now. That's all Mayan Aztec, again, using natural occurring plants and resins and whatnot to form some sort of substance that you would chew. I wonder what the flavor was. Really bad flavor. In fact, many of them describe it as like petroleum jelly. Like, you know, you would not want to eat it or or there was no instinct to chew it and then swallow it. No, they must have made it better than petroleum tasting if they were mad for gum. It must have been, you know... I like it into that sap. Like, you know, you're in Canada, you get some syrup. Like, this is going to be like some chewy, like, okay, whatever. This is good. Cool. Okay. So now let's start talking about invention. And that means commercialization. Let's now leave the sort of ancient world behind and skip ahead to the modernization and commercialization uh, that took place in the United States. Because that's really where the gum industry was born. Really? The industry. Obviously, we've referenced gum-like substances occurring all over the world. Yeah, but I would have thought maybe like Europe would have gotten to this first. Nope. The industry started in the United States. So there are several inventors in various milestones that sort of emerge as part of this whole uh, invention of gum story, if you will. Are we talking, what are we talking, 1800s, 1900s? You're just paving the path for me as we go. And so once the settlers arrived, they noticed that the Native Americans were uh, chewing on various substances. And like you said, who knows what properties they were getting out of those substances, but they were chewing on stuff. And as we mentioned, it's that spruce leaf, you know, like fresh in your breath. And they picked it up from the Indians, i.e. stole the idea from the Indians and produced the first commercial chewing gum, which was called the state of Maine pure spruce gum. That was in 1848. And the guy who invented it or decided to take the idea from the Native Americans and I'm sure shared a lot of the profits, <laughs> his name was John B. Curtis, first commercial gum manufacturer. And the name of the gum, they, they uh, stick the state in there. They say the state of Maine pure spruce gum. 
interesting that you picked up on that because that actually happens in a few different gum products where they mention what state it's from. But yes, so the name of the gum was the state of Maine Pure Spruce Gum. I mean, that's tough to get that on the whole package. You know, I, you'd you be surprised. They have pictures. Okay. So what what year did Mr. Curtis uh, start to market this? Yeah. So that was 1848. So mid-1800s, you had the emergence of commercial gum, if you will. Still very nascent. This was a very early stage. Fantastic. And I assume only children and unmarried females allowed to chew it publicly. I have not been able to see what the rules were in society back then. I, I'm guessing you couldn't chew it in church. I feel like that was a rule. I think it eventually did become one of those things where, you know, it was frowned upon. But early on in the mid-1800s, they also had various gum products that were made of paraffin wax and other petroleum-like products. Yeah. Have you ever done that? Have you ever chewed on like beeswax? I mean, it's got a sort of, you're on your way toward gum, but it's not gum. gum. It's It's a weird thing, but you're like, okay, this in a pinch, you know, this could work. If you had to, you could resort. But this sort of became more popular than the spruce gum these wax petroleum-based gums. Now, here's something that you referenced to sweeten the gums because these gums had zero flavor. As you mentioned, it's like chewing wax. Hmm. Um, They usually were accompanied by a plate of powdered sugar (laughs) and people would repeatedly dip the gum (laughs) to maintain sweetness. Doesn't sound super sanitary. Like everybody just dropping their gum repeatedly into the same little plate of sugar at the center of the table. Some people get annoyed by the crackling of gum when someone's chewing gum or the snapping, if you will. Mm -hmm. And it likens it to, they liken it to nails on a chalkboard or whatever. I have a real problem with watching someone take gum from their mouth, dip it in sugar on a plate and start chewing it again. That's my Orwellian nightmare. Like, I don't care if they smack it, crack it, you know, blow bubbles, but you take it out of your mouth with your fingers and put it in. Well, just and and multiply it by 10. So it's 10 people sitting around, you know, enjoying the gum and then just periodically dipping it in the sugar. You wonder if Dennis came up with that idea. Like, hey, hey, I have an idea. Um, Why don't you directly insert sugar into your teeth? repeatedly. I thought you said Dennis. No, but another fantastic transition because in 1869, William Semple, who was a dentist uh, from Mount Vernon, Ohio, he filed an early patent, patent number 98,304, and he created a gum that was intended to strengthen the chewer's jaw while also cleaning the teeth. So it wasn't a sweet gum. Uh, Ingredients included chalk, powdered licorice root, but charcoal was also suggested as a suitable ingredient in the patent. Hmm. So that was a dentist. Did anybody buy that? No. So that was not successful, but it was patented. I mean, we grew up with the TV commercial, you know, Trident, three out of five dentists recommend it for patients who chew gum or something like that. That's right. And Trident still, it's a very popular brand. It wasn't sold in Europe until very recently. And it's owned by one of the top gum manufacturers. But let's go back to the Semple. 1860s. Yes. Well, so Semple had hit. his moment, not yeah. a big hit. Okay. Now, the first flavored chewing gum, so gum in which you'd market it really as a flavor, manufactured flavor, not yeah, like you know, informed by or, yeah. Yes, exactly. Was this guy named John Colgan. And he was from Louisville, Kentucky. He was a pharmacist. And he mixed powdered hmm. sugar with this aromatic flavoring called tolu which was an extract from a balsam tree. So he then created these sticks of flavored chewy gum that he named, quote, Taffy Tolu. (laughs) And that led to his manufacturing and packaging of this gum. And is that the first time that it's coming in sticks? Yeah, so he did actually license a patent for this automatic cutting of chips because there's different forms of gum. And the gum that comes from like a continuous line in which you cut it into these large sticks, there's actually a patent on that. Hmm. And there's also a patent on cutting the wrappers for the chewing gum. He, uh, I feel like he's kind of a web cutting. He's uh, starting to find the plot. That that doesn't that sounds like a gum that I might have chewed. 
Yeah. Like it's kind of informed by something somewhat organic. You know, it's not like you read the list and it's all chemicals. So and you got a pharmacist over a pharmacist overseeing it. So it's, you know, and you get to say taffy tolu. What are you chewing? Taffy tolu. Taffy tolu. Everybody who is anyone is chewing taffy tolu. Now, the next turn in the telling of the tale of the commercialization of chewing gum is interesting to me. This came inadvertently when an exiled Mexican general, this is General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. Oh, yeah. Santa Ana, who famously or infamously led the siege on the Alamo and was the successful general of the Alamo. But let's not go down that road. Uh, He was a president in Mexico, I think five terms. And he then was exiled. When he was exiled, he came to America. And he wanted to start a business so that he could raise money to get an army together to go back to Mexico and regain power. Hmm. How'd that work out for him? Not well, but he ended up regaining power anyways. But that's a whole completely different pod. Which part of the U.S. does he uh, land in? He lands in New York. Hmm. And whilst in New York, he meets a man named Thomas Adams. This is 1870. Okay. And I think Thomas Adams was appointed as a secretary for him or something. They had some reason to know each other. Okay. So he recognized that Thomas Adams could help him. And so what he wanted him to do was vulcanize chicle. And he wanted to make that a rubber substitute that would compete with the Goodyear company. Hmm. So his big plan was, I'm going to start basically like a rubber substitute company. Yeah, I was going to say both these things are coming from trees, basically, rubber and gum. It seems like it's always tree-based. Well, the, and the rubber substitute is also coming from the chickle, which is from the tree. You're yeah, right. And, but so he's um, – so anyway, but this is – so his initial intention is not um, to make gum, but to make no. uh, a rubber substitute. Okay. Right. And compete, you know, as I said, with these big rubber manufacturers. What does that mean? You always hear that like with hockey pucks, like vulcanized rubber, like w- just like burned or like – It's basically – yeah, it, it, that's exactly right. It, it's heated to a certain degree. It's almost like a kiln. You know, it's like that kind gotcha. of – It goes through some process. But again, different pond. Now, the one thing to consider with the, the fact that uh, this guy was there was he also chewed chickle. Because he's from Mexico, and that was what they did with their version of gum. I thought you were going to say there's just some guy like walking along the factory floor who's like, you know, just pops it in his mouth. He's like, hey, this is actually, you know, this is kind of tasty. And then he financed Santa Ana to go back. Um, no, but so so he ends up leaving. Santa Ana is just like, whatever, this isn't working out. I'm out of here. And Adams, who at this point had started the same habit of chewing the chickle that the general Mm -hmm. was giving him, Mm -hmm. he decided to try to invent something along these lines of commercializing chickle. So he went to work in his kitchen and he boiled chickle, he dried it, he rolled it, he cut it into these sticks and he took it to the drugstore. And that's where he saw children who had previously purchased Curtis's wax gum, preferred this new gum, and it sold out immediately. Wow. I wonder where I wonder where he was procuring his chickle. Does he does that have to come from Mexico or someplace like that? It does. A lot of it comes from Guatemala, and we'll okay. get there because okay. it, it comes from these sapodilla trees. Okay, and it's it's not a great tale when it when it comes to what happened with these trees because oh. you can foresee like the gum industry didn't falter. You know, so you're going to get some exploitation of what's going on with those trees. Yeah, it's going to be like that uh, book, like the Lorax. Like there's exactly. going to be some spoilage, some spoiling the environment. There has to be. Or mistreating the natives or something. But we don't condone anything like that on this No, show. we're against it. Thank you. Um, so in 1871, Adams received a patent for his invention of a machine for making chewing gum sticks. And the machine would cut these you know, blocks into strips and package them. And so he launched the Adams New York Chewing Gum in 1871. So again, you have the state as part of like this chewing gum name. Now, are the sticks the the uh, flat kind that we would recognize now? They or are. They are. Okay. They are. In fact, one of the gums that he produced was called Blackjack. And it was a flavored sort of with licorice gum that can still be found in retro candy stores today. Really? Yes. Adams New York Chewing Gum Blackjack? 
Yes, can still be found in retro. Like you go online, you could get it. Yes, it's like Clovis, like order old, some up. Yeah, so it's like a, it's a licorice based gum that was in 1884. So he, wait, what was that last thing you said? It's like Clovis. Oh, there's another gum called oh. Clovis oh, okay. that is also like an oddly flavored gum. It's one of those early type flavors from the late 1800s, I believe. Gotcha. Um, where it's not very sweet, but it's like, what is this? I um, those. They're really good. Uh, so. Blackjack, and then he had, you know, so he was selling by 1880, like five tons of gum per day. Whoa. By the late 1880s, he had formed a company that sold gum all over the country. So Thomas Adams really started going crazy. And um, Santa Ana did not get any piece of the action? No. Wow. Sorry. Hmm. He left, you know, yeah. had he stayed and, not, and, and known how to pivot, he, you know, but he got frustrated. Wow. But he did become president again. So I think it all worked out fine for him. Yeah. But yeah, if he had been in the gum industry, can you but, imagine? But but his secretary, his lowly secretary became a, a gum baron. Baron. And this guy, this was crazy. It's still mm. probably the biggest gum company. But anyway, so as you mentioned, they do have to get the chickle from these trees, these sapodilla trees. And it's not great for the trees. And so these workers in Central America were known as chicleros. And they would have to scale the tree. And then cut these zigzag patterns into the bark on their way down. And then in response to the carving, the trees secreted this natural latex that would run down the base of the tree. And then it'd be collected in these little pots. And then the pots filled up. They transported them by forest rail, you know, ultimately to New York. But would that kill the tree? Would that kill the tree? Didn't necessarily kill the tree. But we're going to get to this. But the problem was with the time in between you could harvest these trees and how long it took to grow the trees. So we'll we'll get to that. It's a it's a huge problem. Let's put it that way. It's very temporary, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, there's only so many trees. So let's take a break. Yeah, let's take let's pay this bills. is a lot to chew on, if you will. It so, is. I might just pop a little blue trident in my mouth while we listen to the spot for Terry's turpentine. And then I'm hoping that in the uh, second half of the show we're going to get to Hubba Bubba. We do. Or we do get yum. to Bubba. We will get to Bubba Yum and Bubblicious. So stay tuned. The good part's really just on its way. Okay. Whether you're thinning varnish or paint, cleaning wood stains, making moth repellent at home, or just maintaining industrial equipment, Terry's Turpentine has you covered. Terry's Turpentine has been family-owned and operated since 1993. Terry's Turpentine, natural solvents of unnatural quality. All right. Back with the gum story. Yeah, this guy Adams is fascinating. He he got rich. He got very rich and he spawned a lot of imitators, right? So everyone started getting into the gum game. And so in 1899, another New York pharmacist uh, by the name of Franklin Canning, he introduced a gum called Dentine. Oh. You've heard of Dentine. Wow. Yeah, he he used the dental plus hygiene equals dentine. Is that the same dentine that is exists now? It is. Obviously, the brand has been purchased by various companies, but it's it's the brand that first promoted the prevention of cavities. Yeah, and they had a they had a pretty fierce uh, cinnamon one. Like if you got the cinnamon, that that really kind of it was daring. It had a little like bit when of you a, were young, it was daring. It was yeah. like big red. It, it was like are you going for it? it? Yeah, exactly. Oh, going for it! I'd pop two in it at the same time. It was like those red, uh, those gobstoppers, not gobstoppers, but those fireballs. Fireballs. The red hots. We call them oh red hots. Love those. Bought them down at highs. There was a little uh, like convenience store near my house, highs. You get your baseball cards. You get that gum that it could break your teeth. You yes. know, like half the time. So hard. So stale. Yeah. And a lot of times you just hold on to it and then like you just end up having it like three months later. But it really something. is just a whole sea change when all of a sudden, like we're all used to certain gums and then all of a sudden there's the like hyper sugarized, like, as I said, bubba yum, hubba bubba, the all those. They drop the cube. I mean, it's like everything changed. Yeah. All right, but so let's just keep the story going. So now one year after Dentine, you had the first candy-coated gum, uh, and those were chiclets. Hmm. Um, so those hit the shelf uh, in like 1900. I don't I don't um, chew chiclets really anymore. Do people still buy chiclets? 
the brand is still there. It's more of a nostalgic thing. Yeah. It's like sometimes you'll, a restaurant will have the little mini pack of three on your way out or something. Right. But the idea of a candy coated gum, you got gumballs, it led to a different form of gum. It yeah. also maintained the moisture. Like, I guess the, the candy coated gums lasted longer. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause like those, like we said, the ones in the baseball card packs were just like horrendous. Brutal. And they weren't really wrapped. So it's like, who put that? In <laughs> and it's all dusty. And it's the dust kind of made me feel better, though, because, you know, I didn't see fingerprints. The chiclets were made by a guy named Henry Fleer. Now, the reason his name is interesting in this story, one, they believe he's inspired by Jordan almonds, which is why he put the candy coating on the gum. He was inspired by the almonds. And it turns out the almonds, the candy coating of the almond go back to like Rome in 177 BC. That was So a, that's a whole nother pod. Yeah. That that was a great innovation. Love nothing them. like a little like chocolate encrusted almond oh. or candy coated almond. Yeah. That's yeah. So Adams actually the company ended up buying chiclets and and the brand has survived as as we said. Mm-hmm. That brings us then to one of the giants of the industry and, and you'll be very familiar with this gentleman from Chicago or associated with Chicago. Wrigley. William Wrigley Jr. Double mint. Double mint gum, perhaps most well known in the gum industry. Which way would you go? Would you go juicy fruit? Would you go spearmint? Like what was your go-to on Wrigley's? It was always spearmint and then double mint. But I was not a big juicy fruit at the time. I like juicy fruit fruit now. It's fine. It's fantastic. It's a very good gum. I understand. I was never that into the juicy fruit uh, back then. They also just had good advertising on TV. They had the whole like double this thing, double that thing. We had the double mint twins lived in our building. No Because a lot of the advertising for Wrigley was a Chicago-based company. Yeah. And uh, and Wrigley Field. Well, he eventually then took over the Cubs. Well, yeah. exactly. Which is, you know, interesting. So he became one of the wealthiest men in, in the country uh, because of chewing gum. And he started out in Philadelphia as a soap salesman. And when he moved to Chicago in the late 1800s, 1890, uh, he would give away things to get uh, people to stock his products. So he would give store owners like free cans of baking soda, and then they would stock whatever he was selling at the time. That seems like a good strategy. He had interesting marketing techniques back then. And then from that, he learned that people preferred the baking soda to the soap he was selling at the time. Hmm. So then he started putting free packs of this chewing gum in the packages of the baking powder. And then he found people like the chewing gum far more than they cared about the baking powder. So that's what triggered his interest in starting the Wrigley Company, which he did in 1891. Also just, I don't know about back then, but you know, when uh, when we were born and we came of age, just beautiful kind of classic standard packaging. I don't know. Yes. Just, like that's a beautiful uh, packaging to that product. Right. And, you know, he had a lot to do with the marketing. In fact, that's what he probably invented more than anything was the way in which he marketed uh, his products. Now, his gums were the traditional chickle based gums. So you can imagine if you're in Central America, what's going on there with the proliferation of gum adoption in America. Oh, boy. In 1893, he launched two new brands, Juicy Fruit and Wrigley Spearmint. In yeah. 1893. I mean, he should have gotten a Nobel Prize for um, Juicy Fruit, but go ahead. Well, at the time, he was entering a very crowded field. There were a lot of upstarts. Mm-hmm. Everyone had a gum company. He decided to spend a lot on advertising and direct marketing. So he, for example, would send samples of his gum to literally millions of people that he find, found in the phone book. He would just mail free gum. He would Send sticks of gum to children on their second birthday. Happy birthday. Here's some gum. I love it. Also, he was confident in his product because, I mean, you know, it's like once you have one stick of juicy fruit, it's like, okay, well, now it's 30 minutes. The the flavor's gone. Like, we're, I need another stick of that. Right. It's like cigarettes. It's like it, this thing sells itself. Or Trust Starbucks. Me. Yeah. Exactly. So, no, he, known for this marketing move, In World War II, he developed this reputation as being very troop supportive because he dedicated the entire output of Wrigley Spearmint, Doublemint, and Juicy Fruit to the armed forces. Whoa. But again, then chewing gum gained popularity worldwide. Oh, because it gets out around the world. 
I was going to say- He gave so, it to them as a ration. Everyone got gum. Yeah, but so civilians in the U.S. couldn't get their hands on uh, Wrigley. They had to get, uh, they had to, or they had to use other brands or whatever. But also, you, you probably bank a lot of goodwill by uh, supplying all the gum for the troops. Absolutely. And he also felt that the soldiers would benefit um, from the stress relieving properties, thirst, hunger, things like that. But they also traded it with locals. Like it was a very hot product. Yeah. Uh, in prisons, it's in it's one of those things in prison too. It's like if you can get your hand on a, a cigarette or a piece of gum, or a, you know, then it's part of the the economy in a prison. Well, yeah, when scarcity, I remember like certain school class trips. It's like who's got gum? Whoa, you got gum? Like you know, gum was like a, a serious thing. Like you wanted gum. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we were kids in the golden age of like you know gum development. I mean, you had Gator gum. You had the one Sugarloaf. You had a you gum had called Sugarloaf, sugar and people <laughs> would the, let you buy it. You had the one that imitated um, chewing tobacco. It was like the shredded gum, like Big League Chew. Big League Chew. I mean, are you kidding me? What's the one that they just discontinued? The zebra stripe gum. But Big League Chew was genius because it's like, okay, kids like gum. Fruit stripe. And gum. we're all watching baseball on TV. And now we can be like the pros. We got the big wad in our cheek, you know? And it's like, this is awesome. perfect. Well, again, that gets into the invention of various forms. And yeah. I had like 13 cavities the first time I ever saw a dentist. <laughs> exactly. Although that was blamed on the orange juice, not the uh, bubble yum. Well, colored gumballs, like when you're a kid, like all you want to do is get a coin. Like if you had a penny. Yeah. And then if you had a quarter, you could get the really big gumball or a dime or whatever. Those yeah. would like, you'd put them in your cheek and it hurt. Yeah. Not as bad as those, uh, what were they called? The jawbreakers, you know, the, the gobstoppers or whatever they were, where you just got to lick and lick and lick and your tongue hurts. Yeah. That was more like a, a, a work assignment. That wasn't so much <laughs> a candy experience. Right. Like by the time you got to the center, you're like, Jesus, finally. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't care that this thing's sweet. Um, um, okay. No. Well, hold on. Not, uh, it's not totally intuitive. <laughs> it's not totally intuitive that it would be great. But I love the um, Tootsie Roll that had uh, the Tootsie Pop that had the gum in the middle. That was always worth it. Yeah. That's where patients paid off, right? Like you felt rewarded, not like you had mm -hmm. done a lot of work. You felt like and satisfied. It's, just a, it's a mix of it's a mix of uh, textures. You know, you've gone through the hard candy, and then suddenly, whoa, what am I into here? It's it's soft. It's you know, yummy. It's well, some a new companies taste. tried that. I think the Razzles were it would start out as a hard candy and then turn into gum. Yeah, I like Razzles. What 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 became of those? I don't know. We can we can ask ask Lizzie to post an update. Um, but now let's consider the fact that the chickle based mm -hmm. chewing gum industry was really taking off. So as mentioned, took a toll on Central American forests, the sapodilla trees. Yeah, it was just it, massive consumption of these trees. Really? So what we've heard is that the sapodilla trees can be harvested only once they're around twenty years old. Mm. And now here's the here's the rub: each tree yields only about a kilogram of gum per tapping, which occurs every three or four years. Wow. So the poor harvesting methods resulted in the loss of a quarter of all sapodillo trees in Mexico by 1930. Oh, Lord. So it was like mass decimation of these trees and they couldn't get enough still. Hmm. So faced with the shortages uh, in chicle, a lot of the chewing gum manufacturers switched to this synthetic and a petroleum-derived base. And that's really what started the modern gum that we chew today. Yeah, it just sounds like it gives you cancer, but um, like a petroleum base. But I feel like if you go to one of these health food stores like uh, Whole Foods or Erewhon or whatever- You can get chickle. Yeah, I was going to say. There's ethically grown forests or where they have chickle, where that's ethically sourced. You know, this was like mass decimation. In fact, in Honduras, no, in Guatemala, in 1952, there was a decree and they basically had to put an end to it. And Wrigley discontinued purchasing chickle altogether from that country because it was really bad. That press. sucks. Yeah. And so they kind of had to switch. The price to of uh, capitalism, consumer culture. Indeed. Yeah. Now, as mentioned, a lot of competition. One of the next inventions that we're going to talk about is bubblegum. Uh, Bubblegum was invented, and the inventor is credited as Frank Fleer, whose really? brother 
invented chiclets. Okay. So what year does is the invention of bubblegum? So bubblegum came out in 1885. Okay. And he wanted to do something different than all the gums that were being produced back then. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sorry. He had been making chewing gum since 1885. Oh, he I got, got bubblegum going in 1906. And in 1906, which I think that's when Albert Hoffman was born. Whoa. Um, that's good. a throwback for yeah. people who want to listen to killer biographies. Damn, um, oh, no, damn. that's actually season one, or season three, episode one of Killer Inventions. Um, so in 1906, Frank developed a bubblegum he called Blibber Blubber. <laughs> I love it. Blibber blubber. I wonder what, do we know anything about what he had to do to make it into a bubble gum? What the magic ingredient was or anything? He did a lot of very weird formulas and this one proved to be very sticky and ultimately they had to can it and people couldn't chew it. It was too sticky. So, so yes, a chemical composition was a problem. No one mm-hmm. could figure out how to get gum to be bubble gum. Yeah. And you want it to be sticky, but you want it also to then, you know, also peel off the tooth. You don't want it to just like be too sticky. Or your face. Yeah. Like not, you know, yeah. Good point. in some cases. So, And then you got to do the thing where you take the gum out of your mouth and press it against the gum that's on your face to get the little layer off your face, you know? You know, those dreams where like you wake up in the middle of an exam, you forgot to study or like, whoa, I have a test i sometimes do have dreams of like getting gum in my hair because i always had this fear that like i'd have to cut off all my hair like when i was a kid now obviously not a problem i had that fear when i first started just sleeping with a piece of gum in my mouth i was like am i I gonna gonna wake up with this in the sheets but no you just you're you know from a lifetime of chewing gum you know what to do even when you're asleep had had uh, had we relaxed the uh rules for the uh you know, like anybody can chew gum in public. There's no social like stricture like, oh, that's rude for, you know, an unmarried uh, woman to be chewing gum or a married woman to be chewing gum. Or no, like although there are reports of people like in schools becoming aware of the fact that it's a problem. And so they have to have rules like no gum in school. Yeah, that's where we were not born in the golden age of gum. Because by the time we came along, it was like prohibition at ter- in terms of s- at school. No, ch- no gum in school. No like, gum. There's no way. Like, no. no way. And you could you could get in a little bit of trouble for that. Yeah. No. No one was that crazy. Now, in 1928, a FLIR employee, so someone who worked for Frank, named Walter Deemer, he invented the formula for the first commercial bubble gum, and he called it double bubble. Oh, And that wow. took him a year to perfect the recipe so that it wouldn't get stuck to your face. That's a great name, though, also, double bubble. Double bubble. Now, here's where I wasn't able to entirely verify this, but the story goes that within hours of him finally achieving the recipe that perfected bubblegum, he lost it and had to recreate the recipe from scratch. And it took him another four months. That's an anxiety nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) It literally took him another four months. Oh, Oh, jeez. Um, so it was a long wait. Uh, and at the very last minute, he dropped some pink food coloring into the mix. And then he hopped over to the saltwater taffy machine, wrapping 100 pieces that were to be shared with local stores. So again, different form back then. These weren't strips. Right. After an hour of selling the pink chewy stuff, this is from this woman's book, Chickle, for one cent a piece, he sold out the entire run of bubblegum. So instant hit. Yeah. Uh, making it pink was, was a, a stroke of genius as well. And he was a great salesman. So he would go store to store and teach employees how to blow bubbles. <laughs> and so then they would teach the, the their customers how to do it. And then there were the people, did you know any of the people who could blow the bubble inside the bubble? I worked on that. I can still do it. I can still do it. You can't lie. I can still. I cannot do, it. Cannot do that. What was the gum that uh, sold back in the day, like in the seventies? I don't know. Maybe it still does. But they were like individually wrapped, and they'd just be like in the jar at the counter. Well, that's like the uh, double bubble or like a bazooka yeah. type of thing. Bazooka. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll get there. Bazooka okay. comes a little later. That that was a good bubble gum. I mean, if you're looking to blow some bubbles, bazooka was good. That was my go-to. 
Yeah. I wasn't a huge, there was one place I used to go where my friend's commissary in this building only sold double bubble and that kind of stuff. And I was always bummed because I'm like, eh, I don't know, bazookas is better. I mean, I remember this summer, we were on we were on vacation somewhere like out west or something. And I like, if the first time I tasted bubble, yeah, it was, it was, it's what I imagine like the first people who were using crack cocaine versus just regular cocaine, where it's just like, oh my God, what, who right. did that? What in the world? It was an experience, you know, because of the red packaging and the cube-like structure. I remember yeah. when it was in my hand just being just like, oh, like, my God, how- I finally have bubble yum. <laughs> and how soft it was. And it so kept the good. flavor. And it was obscenely oh, sugary. Yeah. It was like, how is this legal? This is street legal. Like, I can actually buy this for a quarter. Uh, I don't even need permission. This is insane. <laughs> yeah, that was life-changing for sure. And I just marveled at a gum being called sugar loaf. That they actually marketed a gum called yeah. Sugar Loaf. That's yeah. brazen. That is brazen. Like, that's good. I don't chew much grape gum anymore, but back in the day, Never I would chew it. some yeah. grape nope. gum as well. Nope. I did not like grape gum hmm. at all. Okay. Hated the flavor. All right. So now, so Double Bubble, first year broke $1.5 million in sale. It'd wow. be around $20 million bucks today. Just boom, first year. So, you know, it was filling up the shelves and flying off the shelves. And people, of course, love this new, unique bubble blow. Imagine yeah. kids. Wait, that's in Chicago? No, that was in, I believe, New York. Gotcha. Okay. Um, now, or that was in Ohio. Where was uh, Double Bubble? I'll have to look up Frank okay. Flair. I forget exactly where he started. And it was his employee, this Deemer guy. Yeah, Walter Deemer. Okay. He's the one that actually launched the whole, you know, double bubble uh, craze. So now during the 1930s, they added something called the Fleer Funnies. And that was the comic characters that they'd put into the packaging, which, you know, was sort of like what we think of with Bazooka. Right. Now, double bubble, as you mentioned, during World War II, all of Wrigley's gum was going to the troops. So double bubble became wildly popular in the United States because it was the only gum you could get. And I wonder, these. this is a, a sugar gum. So I wonder if uh, dentists are starting to see the effect of like, oh, this is really bad for people's teeth. Well, I think way. that did, you know, the, the sugarless gum industry becomes a response to that. Yeah. Because I think they saw that coming. Yeah. This whole craze for the, the bubble gum that again, largely enhanced during the war because it was the only gum you could get for the most part. Also then uh, introduced another competitor, which was Bazooka. So Bazooka was started in 1947 as part of the Topps company. So part of the trading card company. Yeah. Yeah. And they were known for this iconic mascot, Bazooka Joe. Mm-hmm. Who was on the wrapper uh, with yes. the comic strips? Yeah, and then they'd put a little yeah the comic strips in there. That's right. Yeah, so so they became really iconic. Unfortunately, Mister Deemer Walter uh, never got any royalties for anything related to bubblegum, oh, even though he literally no. created Double Bubble. He created the industry. Never saw a dime for it. Instead, there were generations of uh, uh, obscenely wealthy Fleer uh, family. Employees. Yeah, other employees. I'm sure he did fine. So now, as mentioned, Hubba Bubba was introduced by the Wrigley Company in 1979. Mm -hmm. And Hubba Bubba got its name from the military jargon Hubba Hubba, which expresses approval. Yeah. Is that, I didn't know that was a military. I thought that was a thing that like a cat call, like if a a attractive woman's walking by like hubba hubba. You know, it could be, there there could be several derivations of some kind of hubba hubba. So that was 79, huh? Hubba bubba? Hubba bubba. Now 77, two years prior, bubblicious. Yeah. Uh, That's introduced by Warner Lambert. Now that quickly became the most popular gum. Well, what about bubble yum? That also, that was all around the same time. Yeah. And it was all introduced by, you know, again, all these big companies. Yeah, those were, that, and like I said, that was like a whole hyperspace into a new dimension of gum chewing. All those ones that came along in the 70s. Well, now it resulted in LeBron James has a lightning lemonade flavor. Bubblicious. Well, what was the what was the one? Maybe it was Gator Gum. Like, isn't there a quench? quench yeah, quench gum. gum. Yeah. There's all kinds of you know. Again, you could spend hours with all of these brands because it's a super competitive industry. Over sixty percent of the industry, I believe, is controlled by like two or three companies. Yeah. So you have a lot of small ones, you know, niche brands, but for the most part, it's just a couple of companies. This is going to be like uh, 
after the episode you did about uh, Margaret Rudkin, where I just went to the grocery store and bought like all the pepper. I'm going to go get all my favorite old brands. If you can still find them. You can. And by the way, what do you think I've been doing throughout all this research? (laughs) It's disgusting. And I've been testing out the like theory on flavor that our taste buds get overwhelmed with flavor. So it's not that the gum loses flavor. If you take it out of your mouth, have some water, wait a couple minutes and put it. it, it, I've tested all this stuff. It doesn't work. It's ridiculous. But there are a lot of theories around, oh, it improves your short-term memory. It only does that for 20 minutes. All these different things that people have theorized around the benefits of chewing gum. It does supposedly increase short-term working memory. Um, and help on tests. I mean, that's that would have been pretty gutsy to to try to chew it during a test back in yeah. school. Or you could not. There's yeah. no way. But interestingly enough, so all gum by the 1960s had switched to this synthetic rubber, you know, sort of cheap substance. Gotcha. So now, except for these again, independent brands, I'm sure uh, most gum is synthetic rubber. Gotcha. Interestingly, in the early part of this century, 21st century, I mean, mm-hmm. now that we're 24 years in, I guess we can talk about early 21st century. Yeah. That's a little weird. It's but very weird. That was the first time that chewing gum experienced a decline in popularity. Really? Yeah. So different theories. Some say it lost its its association with counterculture and teenage rebelliousness. Like people didn't see as many teens gravitating towards gum. Some blame it on the smartphone and the fact that there are fewer impulse purchases at checkout. So who knows? Oh. Like, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe when they started legalizing drugs, it's like, okay, well, I'll just have drugs now instead of right. <laughs> do you see gumball machines i'm trying to think like outside grocery stores no, never i don't see gumball machines yeah anymore. it'd be kind of gross like would you want some random like how what's going on is it humid at night I like would. what's going I'm, on in i'm not a germ guy so i would 100 percent just for the nostalgia thrill of and then remember the ones the big machine where it would like it would go wind around and around and around and you had to wait for it down at the bottom to come down into the slot yeah like teaching, I bet they pitch that as we'll teach the kids patience. <laughs> My uh, mom used to be like, "Oh, you want a piece of gum?" And then she had this nasty, like Finnish gum or something. It was like pilu, and it was some like healthy gum. And it was like, "This isn't gum. This is disgusting." There this are is- those brands like where it's like, "This is Swiss. They don't flavor it." What yeah, is this? yeah. This is like medicine. This is like a physical therapy or something. This isn't gum. Speaking of medicine, I think that was a, a an aspirin infused gum. Really. Yeah, I think that, that, that makes sense. So now, a couple of fun facts related to gum, other than our personal history with gum, which is also equally interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, on and I was never allowed to chew gum. Like my parents were not big on gum. Like it was super. The, my dad would get super annoyed if anyone. Okay, but I mean, when you're not at home, they can't uh, chewing they, gum constantly. And yeah. we, it was all about where are you putting your wrappers. Do they look in your in our you know winter coat? Yeah. Um, so now in 1974, June 26th. Marsh Supermarket in Troy, Ohio, the first store to install barcode scanning equipment. First to install barcode scanning equipment. The very first product to be scanned using a UPC code barcode was a 10-pack of Wrigley's Juicy Fruit Gum. Yeah, I was going to say Wrigley's. It would have to be Wrigley's. Uh, it just for some popped into my mind when you said barcode. I could just see it coming across the uh, coming across the counter there. You can also see it at the Smithsonian Institution. I bet you can. Because that pack of gum is on display there now. Did this uh, book tell you any, did it resolve any of the urban myths we grew up with? Like if you swallow a piece of gum, it, it will, uh, you know, stay there forever or it'll, you know. It won't stay there forever. However, if you are very young and you mm-hmm. swallow a lot of gum, mm-hmm. it could get stuck and you could have some abdominal blockage. So I don't, I'm not abdominal. Yeah. Don't do it. I remember like once or twice as a kid, just like laughing suddenly and you just like suck the gum down in there and you're like, okay, it's gone. And I hadn't even really gotten in. I hadn't really got the full experience of the flavor yet and it's gone. Right. That's the only way in which I find gum is an appetite suppressant. If you just swallow enough of it, you're just not hungry anymore. (laughs) It's a good, uh, that's another thing gum's useful for if, you know, it's, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, you're like, oh, I should go to bed. I'm a little bit, I want a snack. And then it's like, you know what? Just have a piece of gum. Right. So much better. Much better than having dessert. There's yeah. some, some sugar-free gum. Now, 
the studies I find most hilarious are the ones that say that the benefits of chewing gum in terms of helping you focus for longer periods and so on only lasts for the first 15 to 20 minutes hmm. of a task. So I just think I'd love to see the tapes of like, how you doing? Still really focused. How you doing? Still really focused. Still, what are you doing? What what, what should I be doing? What is it? Well, 20, 20 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and then like, can I blow a bubble now? So that's like, must've been pretty funny. And also what's the effect on like the person that's next to you? Cause they're like, Oh my God, the sound of that person chewing gum is driving me insane. I can't concentrate on this test at all. The Singapore government outlawed chewing gum in 1992. Boo. Okay, now hold on. They cited danger of the discarded gum that had become wedged in the sliding doors of underground trains and general cleanliness. Whatever. Didn't they also outlawed uh, homosexuality, I think. They did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I try to do boy. very focused research here. Now, yeah. in 2004, they allowed some sugarless gum to be sold in pharmacies <laughs> only if it had been prescribed. By a doctor or a dentist. <laughs> Seriously? I'm not kidding. You get a, get a prescription to get some gum? Yeah. And the only reason they did that, it was a concession to the United States for some trade agreement. And then did they assign like a police officer to follow you around and make sure you didn't spit it out at the subway? Well, wasn't some American caned yeah. in Singapore for spitting out gum somewhere? Was it spitting out gum? Or I thought it was gum it, related. Yeah. Okay. Now the world record for the largest bubblegum bubble ever blown is 26 inches in diameter. That was set in 1996 by Susan Montgomery Williams of Fresno, California. I'm going to be looking for Fresno this week in the locations. Yeah, there's not a lot going on up there. I can imagine that you could you'd have time to, you know, sit there and perfect it. 26 inches across. What year was that? That was 96. Hmm. Yet to be broken from and what it has I not been broken. I'm almost surprised that it's not bigger than um 26 inches the world record but 26 is crazy that's yeah just coming out of your mouth yeah that's absurd i wonder how much gum how many sticks you got to chew to then build a 26 inch bubble now the market size in the united states has now grown to over 18 billion dollars it's 18 billion but didn't you say that overall gum use has declined a little bit in this a little bit in the 21st century although overall it's still going to grow just not growing as fast so i think it's the rate of growth ultimately that declined Then there's also the thing that, you know, if you're just tense and you're sort of chewing it mindlessly and rapidly, I I do think that people can develop jaw issues. You know what I mean? Like the thing. I believe, yes. Yeah. And as mentioned, the book, the definitive book, at least if you're interested in the history of the invention of the gum industry, uh, is written by Jennifer Matthews. She's the professor of anthropology and the author of the book, Chickle the chewing gum of the Americas from the ancient Maya to William Wrigley. That really tells the whole story. Amazing. So when I go and I get a bunch of brands tonight or tomorrow morning, I'm going to also get the one over at the health food store that's the Chickle. Because that's the one that it looks like it's an ancient thing. It's like the brown. They're not uniform size pieces. They're just like little chunks in the, you know, it, it feels like. And it's it's sweet. It's mint, but it's it's not super sweet. Well, you should look at the ingredients. It, I, I remember. As soon as you said chickle, I remember that that's what it's Right. But even within the chickle, like I wonder if it includes gum base because most companies oh. have a proprietary gum base. So it's a little mm. bit opaque. You don't know. You know that it's a portion of resin do wax. We, do we, does KMA have a proprietary gum base? We should get one of those. No, but I did start thinking about what a great giveaway to do KMA podcast gum. Yeah. I bet there's a place where we could... You know, it'd have to be the right molecular composition. Like we don't want to give away sticky gum. Like we want right. good gum. Right. But that might be a good instead of the golf balls, maybe we do gum. The other thing is I feel like overall there used to be more of a problem with gum on the pavement than there is now. Like it's gotten better somehow. Yeah, I wonder if that's true. Cause it definitely like that was an issue, an I feel issue. like, at a certain point. Yeah, yeah, when you're a kid, you're always like, oh, God, I just stepped in gum. Better than stepping in dog poop, but still, like... Right, that was also another fear of mine, because I felt like I would never get it off, ever. And it just was always happening. In the 70s, ev- nothing was worked out yet. You know, like the basic rules of your dog poops, go pick it up, like get rid of it. You know, it's just like you're stepping in dog poop, you're stepping in gum, you're 
But the 70s also gave us Bubblicious, Bubble Yum, Hubba Bubba, Bazooka, or not Bazooka, but yeah. No, but out on the streets, it's like an Al Pacino movie. Like you're just dodging <laughs> things on the sidewalk. Yeah. Like you just want to get the Bubblicious, but like in the meantime, it's like, Jesus, can someone <laughs> you know clean up around here? Yeah, it was the Wild West gum-wise, but it was also an exciting time to grow up. And the Gator Gum and the Big League Chew and the, you know. Well, again, for for our generation, like you're definitely experiencing various forms. Like people were playing around, like, oh my god, we're going to shred it and put it in a pouch, and you can be a baseball. Like what? And also, I feel like they made advancements in terms of retaining flavor longer. Yes, and that's also again, like you go down a rabbit hole with a lot of these different issues because there's a lot of conjecture as to how to make the flavor last, what sweeteners, but. There's a real science as to how the saliva generally absorbs the flavor, how long that takes, and then this oversaturation issue. And then if you drink a uh, drink that has ice, that 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 affects the gum and the flavor as well. You know, it gets well, it, it refreshes and, your palate, though. Yeah, I guess if you drink anything, it refreshes your palate, and then you taste the gum again. We should do an episode on Pop Rocks, man. That was a 1970s phenomenon. Again, big no-no in my house, but yeah, that Pop was- Pop Rocks. I really wanted them at they, all the those time. Those were dangerous, yeah. That was another one where there were all kinds of like urban myths about like the, the boy who died because he put two packs of Pop Rocks. Was that true? No. Did that end up being true? No. no? Okay. <laughs> wow. Great episode. Great topic. And it's a nice mix because it's both an ancient technology, but then the form of gum that we recognize now is actually very, very modern. You know, it's not like people were chewing a ton of gum in the 1500s, the 1400s, 1600s. No, you're just grabbing some weeds and like, like a cow chewing cud. Like you were just whatever was within grasp. Yeah, I wonder what those colonial Americans were doing to keep the breath uh, fresh. Like, well, I think it was that that winter green, the spruce and the winter green, or whatever you know the Native Americans were doing in the area. Yeah, Colonel Troy, are you going to tease episode seven? This is on the other side of this half of Killer Means Awesome Killer Inventions. Yeah, episode seven. I would love to tease it. We are going back into a territory which we visited at the beginning of the season. We're going to go back into the world of chemistry. And we're going to visit various far-flung uh, locations, Sweden, Russia, Finland, San Francisco. Wow. I'll know, have to get a box of gum so I stay that. alert because this sounds like it's going to be action-packed with uh, high-mindedness. I'm going to get all the boxes of gum uh, as soon as we're done tonight, it's starting with Juicy Fruit. And then if I can find it, if I can find it, I see the other thing is I feel like supermarkets, it's sort of in the same way that our culture has sort of... I, I I don't know, standardized everything. I just feel like you see the same kind of four or five brands of gum at checkout. And it's not like the old days where, you know, you could go to a certain, you know, a convenience store or whatever, and there were just a million different options on the gum. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just not going to the right places. There were so many different types of gum. Yeah. So, but I mean, like, I wonder, can I go out tonight and find like Hubba Bubba or Bubblicious? Or you can. If you go to a gas station or that kind of like, you know, store, you can. All right. Well, Dr. Chark, looking forward to next week. And because it's going to be chemistry next week, you know, bring the safety goggles, bring the lab coat, you know. We'll see you next week on Killer Means Awesome, Killer Inventions, Season 3, Episode 7 coming up. Sounds good.